Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Well, I see the majority of you uh, made it through the fair, survived. Glad you're here, glad it's over, glad it's gone. <laughs> Praying they don't get a permit next year. Anyway, okay, so I'm done with that, okay? It's just I had to do that, just to be honest. All right, I did go, as many of you noticed, commented, I don't appreciate it. But anyway, uh, corn dog was good, Okay. Today we're doing a series entitled Overcoming Fear. It starts today, and uh, everyone in here, whether we want to admit it or not, uh, have a battle with some sort of fear in our lives. I mean, we're, we're all battling. Now, I know that some churches would not accept this opening statement because it's a negative confession. It's really not a negative confession. It's an obvious reality that every one of us has something in our lives that, that we're battling. Now... Early on in my ministry, it was some, somewhere in the 80s, uh, I was about 13 when I really began preaching. Uh, you guys are really slow today. The fair did make you sluggish. Cholesterol levels are high. Uh, we're not looking at pollen right now or mold. We're looking at cholesterol, and I'm telling you, it's off the charts today. Uh, and so uh, I, 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 I was starting to fly some, getting invitations to preach in other places, and, and uh, my family... As a kid, we never flew. I did not get on an airplane until I was uh, roughly 20, 20 some years old. You know, we just didn't fly, and and so you know, I wasn't freaked out by it. I thought it looked fun, and and started doing it a little bit, and had some good experiences. And and after having some good experiences, how many know when you get comfortable with something, oftentimes something happens that tries to make you uncomfortable, especially. If that which you're pursuing is your destiny, your purpose. So I knew God was going to have me speak throughout the world and, or anticipated that. And so uh, I was asked to do a youth camp in San Jose, California. And uh, so I, I got on a plane in Tulsa. The changeover was uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then San Jose. It was a beautiful day to fly, and, you know, the pilots come on, and they tell you, it's just a beautiful day to fly. It's one of those days you just kind of go, oh, it's going to be great. And so uh, we take off, and, and everything's going great. And we're probably an hour and a half into the flight, beautiful outside. You can see everything down below. It's just one of those days you go, this is awesome. And then out of nowhere, the plane begins to shake violently, just, I mean, to the point where people are literally throwing up. I mean, it, it was a movie. And, uh, and so, I mean, we're shaking, and it seemed like forever, and, and all of a sudden, the, the plane just plummeted, which seemed like about five to 10,000 feet anyway, just that quick. And, and it, felt like, it felt like it was going on for three hours, it was probably 30 seconds, and, and, uh, and the pilot comes on, and these are words you never want to hear, is, we don't know what happened. And, uh, and so I thought, well, that's encouraging. He said, we've... Other planes have flown at this altitude through here, and they, there's been no, no problems, and they call it clear air turbulence now. They didn't have a name for it back then. It was called, Wah! <laughs> and after that day, I'm convinced they came up with clear air turbulence. And so I thought, well, that was, that was an experience, and it did frighten me. And in that moment, I 
remember it was a 737. Now, I know most airplanes after that moment, I started studying airplanes, wide-body airplanes, sleek airplanes, regional jets. I, I just wanted to know which ones flew the best and which ones everybody, because I'm thinking I will never get on one of these again. How many of you know? When you've had an experience, you remember it, and you don't do it again. So I ain't doing that again. Mm-hmm. Once, shame on it. Twice, shame on me. And so... Uh, anyway, we, we, we land safely, finally, and most of the plane was pretty startled, you could tell. And so I'm praying for the first time, and I'd been flying some, but didn't know enough to really pray until this happened, the way I did. And I was praying that, the, that there would be a pretty substantial layover between this flight and the one going to San Jose, like maybe four days. Uh, you know, who's complaining? Don't worry about paying for my hotel. I'll take care of it. You know, it's one of those days that you're looking going, I just need uh, some time to breathe and recover my confidence. So anyway, uh, I, I get off that, that plane and I'm literally praying and all of us are like probably looking like ghosts. And, and so I go to my next gate to where my next flight was leaving. And guess what? By the time I got there, they were boarding. On any day now, I would say perfect day off of one, onto the other, no delay. Well, on this day, I was praying for one and didn't get it, and I got on the plane, and I'm sitting there at a window seat, somewhere around 14A, but who remembers? Um, And so we take off, and we are literally not even off the ground 200 feet, and we're probably below that, and all of a sudden, the plane flips left, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking down at the ground. You're supposed to be looking out? I'm looking at the ground. Wind shear, caught it, flipped it up. Pilot recovers it, and I'm thinking, okay, I want to stand up and say, who on this plane has sin in their life? <laughs> no, I wasn't wanting to lead them to Jesus. I was wanting to throw them off the plane. Okay, who's causing this? Okay, you need to get saved because you're causing the rest of us fear and grief. Then I thought, maybe it's me. I don't know. <laughs> it's like... But with that said, I knew that my life would be filled with traveling and in that moment, I, I realized that the devil was probably going to try to use fear to keep me from my destiny, to prevent my purpose, to ground me. In that time, I didn't know that I would be training leaders in South Africa and England and uh, South America. I, I had no idea at that time, but God did. And guess who else did? Hmm, could it be Satan? There's a battle for your purpose. There's a battle for your destiny. There's a battle for your call. And in that moment, I had a decision to make. Would I trust God enough to believe Him that He would keep me safe? So, over the years, I went ahead and faced those fears. And, man, before I'd get on airplanes, I know people behind me would freak out. But walking on the jet bridge, getting on the plane, I would lay hands on the airplane. And I would command it to fly. You will stay in the air. You know. And, and so over time, I, I began to overcome it. But then the biggest challenge came just probably seven, eight years ago. Six, seven, eight years ago. Somewhere around there. I had flown to Kampala, Uganda uh, to preach at a, uh, several churches there. And, and then there was a, they wanted me to go to a, a place north of Kampala, Gulu, uh, where uh, Joseph Kony had done a lot of his corrupt work and creating child soldiers and all those things. And uh, so they wanted us to go. And they said, well, if we drive because of the roads in, in Central Africa, they, that it would be, uh, it would take hours and hours. So the flight was an hour. 
but no jets are fly into Gulu. The runway's not long enough, and there's no commercial service. So we, he said, we rent a plane, and he said, uh, so we take off at thus and so time in the morning. And I, <laughs> so I get there, and it's it's a twin engine plane that would not pass inspection in America. Trust me. And I had been I had flown some and been in the cockpit some, and so I know a little bit about avionics and aeronautics I, I and so I, I I was I was commissioned to be the co-pilot and I was okay with that until I saw the pilot it was a four foot 11 90 pound woman now I have nothing against women don't be writing letters up in here in emails it just she was so small and this is a twin engine plane ancient plane and we get in and I'm watching all the pre-flight checks and got the headphones on and and I'm looking for the avionics and I said well where are the avionics and she pointed to this little bitty thing on the dash (laughs) I'm like I've got a bigger one than that in my car and she says now when we get off the ground when we get off the ground you're going to fly us to Gulu remember the story going into Salt Lake, right? This is a twin-engine rickety plane with no avionics. And I so we get up, and she says, you take it. And I said, well, what am I looking for? She said, you see that mountain over there? Just keep it pointed in that direction. And so at 4,000 feet, we're flying along, and she's sleeping. Everybody in the back is sleeping. It's me. And all of a sudden, off to the right wing coming at me, I see this object. And and I couldn't figure out what it was because I'm looking at the mountain. Because she said, fly toward the mountain. Don't want to miss the mountain because we're going to land before the mountain. And so all of a sudden, it's coming so fast, I couldn't even react. I'm flying fast. It's coming fast. And come to find out when it gets close enough off my right wing coming at us, it was a marabou stork. Now, marabou storks are about this big. They're huge, huge birds. And, and uh, so I quickly wake her up, and I said, we're flying at 4,000 feet. I said, <laughs> I was hoping she understood those words. I said, a marabou stork uh, flying this way was coming at us. I said, she goes, oh, yeah, they fly at this level. I said, thanks for the information. <laughs> Once again, flying, it... it, it because I had overcome the fear of the Salt Lake City thing, there was another fear, but I realized I can conquer this too. What I'm saying is we have to face our fears. Now, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Most people think the opposite of fear is faith, and that's not true. The opposite of fear is perfect love. God is what? Love. And he's perfect. Perfect love is what conquers the fear in our lives. Now, fear will challenge our faith, but perfect love is what overcomes our fear. And so it's not about uh, just just having faith. It's about trusting a perfect God. So here's what I want to do. In the seat back in front of you, there's a pen and, and some kind of paper, or you can do this on your phone, and you can email it to Mosaic Church, okay? But I want you to identify today your biggest fear. I want you to identify your biggest fear because this month we're going to talk about overcoming fear. And I, at the end of this month, I want to believe God that whatever it is that is an obstacle to you, 
will no longer be an obstacle to you at the end of this month. And so after the, after the 930 worship experience, I forgot to have them turn them in. You don't have to put your name on them, uh, and, and you don't even have to turn them in. But I want you to keep these in front of you, and I want you every day to look at that and say, at the end of this month, this fear will no longer have influence over my life. Because every one of us have issues and fears that we have to face and overcome. And, and, and the problem is, some of us just adjust and learn to live with them. We just learn to accept them. And, and because of that, we never become everything that God wants us to become. So I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 10. It says, When the servant of the man of God, which was Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Verse 16, don't be afraid. The very first response to the fear was, don't be afraid. It wasn't, look, here's a strategy, here's a blueprint, here are the number of people for you. It was, don't be afraid. In other words, don't look at what you're looking at because there's something beyond what you're looking at. Now, it goes on to say this. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, in that moment, the servant is looking and going, Elisha must have been eating mushrooms last night. <laughs> Only people who have done drugs understood what I'm saying. Shrooms. Now you got it. The real drug. Oh, yeah, I get it now. We just call them shrooms. And so he's looking and going, Elisha, I can see the enemy. I can see those who are surrounding us. And isn't it true that most of us have an easier time remembering the things that have harmed us than the things that have blessed us? We have this innate ability to capture things that have created fear, doubt, and unbelief in our lives. Things that have hurt us, people who have hurt us. You remember their name, you remember their face, but you can't remember the name of people, names of people who have been nice to you. But trust me, you will never forget those who have done you wrong. It's a tragedy because then that creates this fear and hate. And let me tell you something fear is what causes hate. The fear that somebody looks different than us. The fear, we have fear because somebody acts different, dresses different. There's fear. If somebody walked in in a suit today and they look normal and, and you thought, these people are safe, why would you say they're safe? Because they look safe to you. But if I brought someone in today with dreadlocks and funky suit, uh, clothes, you'd be looking, oh, we got to watch them. Fear creates hate. And why is that? Because the devil wants us to hate. That's why perfect love casts out fear. That we have, we have a fear issue. This is one of the problems with, with racism. People look different than us. You know why God did that? Because it makes us look more beautiful in his eyes. It's like all these beautiful colors on earth that God intended for it to be that way. And we have fear that somebody looks different than us, dresses different than us, acts different than us, and it creates hate in our lives. We've got to quit fearing. And how we do that? By embracing perfect love. Now it goes on to say, O Lord, open his eyes, Elisha's praying, 
so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, what he saw was a supernatural vision of what God was doing around them. So in our lives, our enemies are really not what we see. It's what we perceive that we see. Now, we, he knew that they were not a part of them. The servant did. And he knew who they were, and he did know that they were perceived enemies. And the reason I use the word perceived is because if you can see something on earth, it's not your enemy. But there is somebody that's behind that, and that that person might have surrendered to a, a power or a force that drives a behavior that is contradictory to God. Now, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical. Weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Inasmuch as we, this is the, the amplified version, inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. In other words, every time a fear comes, you must apprehend that fear and make it obedient to the word of Christ. In other words, you can't let that fear or that vision continue to play in your mind. I don't know why people go and don't get mad at me. I'm just trying to pastor you. And I'll pester you a little bit too. But why do people go to movies that instill fear? I was at a movie the other day, and I see this, this preview for another movie. How many of you know you have to endure those sometimes? And, and it's, it's a horror movie. It's, it's like, I think Rocky and these Saw movies are competing, like Rocky 32 and Saw 28. It's like, how, it's like why would you go and, and fill your mind with something you said, but it's so fun to be afraid. Really? Wake up in the morning. That's all you need. That's enough to battle. Is you read the news and, and the negativity in the world and North Korea's doing this and China's doing that and Russia's doing this and, and the whole idea is to instill fear. I would love to have one day of positive news. The world would change. Just one day, I promise you, people put their sets on CNN and leave them on 24-7. And those news stations, guess what they do? They repeat in cycles of 30 minutes. Why? It keeps driving home the fear that they're trying to instill in you to make things are horrible. Let me just tell you something. I've read the end of the book, and I know that at the end of the book, it's all all right. So if I'm having a tough day, I just look ahead of that tough day and go... You know, if God be for me, who can be against me? I'm more than a conqueror, an overcomer in this life. I will not be defeated. And all the circumstances look like, the things I can see look like, that I'm lying to myself. But Paul told the church at Corinth, we believe, therefore we speak. 
So you create a belief system, and from the platform of that belief system, you will speak. And whatever you speak becomes a reality in your heart, because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, will then become your behavior. So the fear will live on if you don't address the fear, make it captive, and make it obedient to Christ. That fear will live on. So people who continually talk about, well, my granddad and great-granddad had heart issues. My uncle has heart issues. Therefore, I'm going to have a heart issue. You already have a heart issue. Because the issue is not the physical heart. It's what's behind it. Now, I'm not suggesting that you don't have genetic propensities. But what I am suggesting is this, that it doesn't have to come nigh you. Percentage is getting a little better of amens. Thank you. We have to recognize that the enemy uses our eyesight to impart to us things that create fear in our lives. That's how come if you watch plane crashes over and over again and that gets in you, you may never get on an airplane. I can watch a plane crash and not care. Now, I care about the people on there, but it's not going to keep me from doing what I'm called to do. I don't know if you read about the Air France engine that came off flying from Europe to Los Angeles yesterday. Those of you who are about to fly, go look at it. And go, my plane is sound. And if not, it goes down, I go up. I can't lose. Just pray you hadn't made your house payment, your visa payment yet. That's what I'm praying. Leave that sucker here for somebody else and just, I'll fly away, oh glory. We got the old church crowd in here, don't we? 930, they'd be going, where's he going? So Elisha prays and, and says, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha as the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Now the servant's getting a lesson here. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? He's looking to the prophet, and the prophet is so confident, so not afraid of these men returning to surround him. How many of you know they had just gotten a lesson from a man of God that said, If I want you to be blind, you're going to be blind. You think you're going to mess with me? You won't try this again. So Elisha takes him inside the city. The king thinks he ought to kill him. The men that he's leading there thinks they're probably going to kill them. There's a lot of fear going on here. And Elisha goes, nah, don't kill them. Oh, let me just give it the verb, do not kill them. I'm like, yeah, don't kill them. You know, anyway, Oklahoma. Would you kill men you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. Wow. Do you realize in, in the Old Testament, if a king was removed from the throne or he died, the next king killed every member of his family for fear that they would try to take over the throne. This is how it worked. 
So whenever somebody does this, it was unusual in that day to give an enemy the opportunity to ever surround you again. Here's the catch in the New Testament. We know that all fear is born out of a supernatural realm, not the natural. Because the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So fear is a spirit. It's not a person. It's not a job. It's not a boss. It's not a mother-in-law. It is a spirit that comes to invade your thought life, your confidence, and your faith to press against the perfect love that set there to cast it out. So you have to keep the perfect love of God in your heart for fear to not have a place in your life. That's the reason that God says that love covers a multitude of sin. That love never fails. So in every situation... When we see somebody who mistreats us, who misbehaves, who does something wrong, the temptation is to repel or to resist that person and never have them around us again instead of saying, I will face the fear that it will happen again. You hear people say, I will never love again. Good luck with that. Be miserable the rest of your life. Love is a part of what created all of us. And love is what we need to do. So... Let me just give you some of the top fears. I'll give you about four or five. Number one is speaking before a group. 40% of the people, that's their top fear. That's what I do every week. Now, I have had nightmares that I got up in front of you and had nothing to say. Now, you, if you know Mark Crow, that's just really impossible. I may not have something good to say, but I've always got something to say. It's not like I've ever run out of words, but in the middle of the night, that fear comes that you're going to stand up and you're going to start trying to talk to people and it's not even going to make sense. And yet I've been doing this since the late 70s when I was 13 years old. <laughs> Plus whatever other number I was at that time. So what do you do? You get up and you challenge that. I challenge it every week. 40% of the people are scared to death to do this. And 40% shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> they ought to be afraid. <clears throat> heights. Flying, right? <clears throat> 30% of the people, top fear is heights. Three, insects and bugs, 20%. So all you people who like bugs are just strange. I've actually been around people who would capture a spider and release it outside. A spider never gets that opportunity in my house. I am a beast. When it comes to spiders, I will crush you. I don't care if you're a little bitty, if you're crawling on the floor in my house, you're dead. Thank you. Oh, why would you kill it? Because it doesn't belong here. It's not paying the electric bill. The minute a spider hands me a MasterCard or Visa, it lives. Until then, it's dead. Number four, financial problems. 20% of the people, it's, it's, it's the fourth top fear. And let me tell you, this is when I talk about attacking fear. I did the whole series last month on giving. Most people are scared to death of not having enough. And you know how you attack being scared of not having enough? Is sowing so that you will. 
Well, you know, Pastor, I just don't know if I can do that. The budget's tight. If you want the budget to be less tight, start tithing. Don't, don't be afraid you're not going to have enough. Guarantee yourself you're going to have enough. That's the reason God put that principle in place. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. There may be meat in my house. See if I won't open the windows of heaven. Pour out such a blessing you won't have room enough for it. He said, I want you to know. I know where the window is. I got my finger on the lock. I'm unlocking it. I'm kicking it open. And I'm pouring barrels out on you. That's what God said he would do. And then, then deep water is the fifth most concerning uh, fear. So let's talk about fear of what you can see. First off, the fear of what we can see is probably the most, uh, the greatest challenge is because what we, what we see, we begin to, to create a story or write a script based off of what we see. Now, I'm not suggesting we don't use wisdom and that if you're, you're not a good driver behind the wheel of a car, please don't get a motorcycle license. Okay, for your sake and your family's sake, if you cannot drive a car well, and you say, but it's not, it's not the driver of the motorcycle, it's the other people. I get that to some degree, but there are just people who should not be on motorcycles. Okay, you don't do cars well, and don't think that you do. Well, my mom says I drive great. Your mom thinks you are Jesus Jr. Okay, never listen to your mother, ever. Never listen to your mother. You, you will think at the end of your uh, graduation in high school, you ought to be the professor. Some of you are going, oh, you mean I'm not as brilliant and beautiful as she said? Sorry to tell you, you got to have pimples. All right, now. <laughs> yeah, I know. We are persuaded by what we perceive and what we see. Now, perception here, if I take you to Matthew chapter 14, you don't have to turn there. It's when Jesus is walking on the water, and now any of us would be afraid, right? Jesus is walking on the water. It's in the night, and the disciples are crossing a sea, and all of a sudden, this object comes on top of the water. I have not seen anyone walk on water. Now, I know some of you in here think you walk on water, my husband walks on water. No, he doesn't. And neither does your wife. Just when they wake up in the morning, turn over, and it will tell you everything about them. The green fog. Keep Tic Tacs by the nightstand. Anyway, so there, he's walking on water, and Peter is the only one who thought, yeah, this is scary, but I'm going to challenge my fears. Now, here's what happens. It says that he said, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, I have never seen the wind. And neither have you. You might have seen smoke in the wind or something blowing as a result of it. But you've never seen the wind. But Peter says, it says here, when he saw the wind. The Greek word there for saw is when he perceived. Because what he really saw was water, not the wind. But it says he perceived the wind. And I believe that. You can perceive the wind. Why? Because you can feel the wind. But you cannot see it. So sometimes what we see is not really what we see. It's what we perceive. My boss doesn't like me. Well, how do you know that? Did you get a paycheck last Friday? That's a sign he kind of likes you or else you're fired. 
But your perception is he doesn't like you because he doesn't talk to you or she doesn't talk to you. I have to make this all gender now. In this society, there'd be a woman saying, well, aren't women bosses? Honey, you're the boss everywhere. We know that. So just give me a minute to call men bosses at work because at home, when they come home, we know who's in charge. I know. Am I right, John? John? Yeah, you got it. All right, now. I know, I'm getting a little help here. All right, now. Perception. Perception. Doesn't have to be reality. Perception does not have to be your reality. Yeah, you had a bad flight. And you perceive you were going to crash, but you landed. So that's just perception, right? It did not become reality. So don't believe everything you see. Because behind every relationship you have, personally and professionally, there is a spirit in operation according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So the person you're sitting next to and the person you see is not your enemy. This is the problem. We create enemies out of what we see or what we better yet what we perceive that we see and as a result of that fear settles itself in. I'll never be loved, I'll never be treated right and all of those things begin to work inside us and we get anxious and we start trying to grasp and control the situation. I got to get this thing right. I got to make sure it happens. You know, I used to do that when I was a pastor. I wouldn't sleep at night when I started my first church because I thought someone was breaking into the church in the middle of the night when I'm, I'm at home sleeping. I had fear of that because I'd never owned a church building before. And then all of a sudden I own a church building and I feel responsible. So I had to learn to overcome that and say, hey, I'm not in charge. Jesus is. Because it doesn't matter what I see. It matters what I know. Those who know their God shall do exploits, not those who see the right things, but those who know. And Elisha is trying to get his servant to say, what you see is the enemy. What I see is the deliverer. And I want us to start seeing the deliverer. I want us to start seeing beyond what we see with the natural eyes and know that behind that is an army of angels surrounding us. Hebrews chapter 1, it says that, that angels were sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. Nobody preaches much about angels, but let me tell you, they exist. According to Hebrews chapter 1, they're real. I got some humongous angels right now. You can't see them. Ease up on them. You can't see them right now. But I know them. And you might get by with a little bit now, but these big boys right here, they coming to get you. You say, okay, this is one of those strange churches. It is, really. <laughs> Filled with strange people like you and me that actually believe that one day the skies will part and Jesus will come back on a white horse in a sweatsuit that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what's fixing to happen. With under armor on his chest. It ain't going to be one of those funky biblical robes. But it's going to be the hottest under armor release. Some of you, if you want it to be Nike, that's fine. Maybe we'll have one on each. Jesus had Nike shorts and, oh, oh, he can't wear shorts. He's Jesus. We might see his kneecaps. Anyway, so, 
in his sweatpants and his jersey top. See, the world right now, what the world is looking for, because we are a part of the world, is looking for people and looking to you and me to see what they hope to see because they can't see in the Spirit without some kind of physical manifestation or expression. Why do we encourage people to lift their hands and smile and and look upbeat? Let me tell you why. Because until they see that, they don't know whether you're an ally or an enemy. But when you raise your hands in church, this is a place of safety. These are people surrendered to something we can't see and someone we haven't seen. But I see him in them. Have you ever walked up on somebody you just know they're a Christian by their countenance? Yeah, some of you have. Some of you have walked up on people you know they're the devil. Anyway, so. But we see the expression. When people walk into a church, it ought to be different than walking into some kind of conference or seminar. There ought to be an expression of love for God here. When we raise our hands, people going, these people may be serious. If you ever walked in a church where everybody turns around and looks at you instead of looking up? You don't belong here. You've never been here before. You didn't ask us if you could come. You're not dressed like us. You don't look like us. That's how I want people to walk in here and go, these people are crazier than me. I'm hooked up. They're not afraid. Because today in stadiums across America, people will... People who are metabolism challenged will not have shirts on. And they'll have paint on their tummies. And they'll have paint on their face and they'll be acting like five-year-old children. And their expression is, I'm going to tell you what team I am rooting for. And, it'll, and there won't be any question. And you will gravitate if you're a Packers fan. And they got these stupid cheese wedges on their head. <laughs> and all of a sudden you gravitate toward a cheese head. And they got, they, they got pee on their tummy. And, and their little brother who weighs about five pounds less than their 400-pound body got an A on their tummy. All of a sudden, that what you wonder, you don't wonder anymore what team they're rooting for. You figured it out. When people come into a church, they shouldn't have to wonder who we're rooting for, who we're believing in, and what we stand for. We shouldn't act like we don't have a serious relationship with the one that we came to worship. Elisha said, God, help him see beyond the enemy, beyond the attack. Help him to see the spirit that you are surrounding us. So whatever you're afraid of, the spirit of light and life will overcome the spirits of darkness. Secondly, fear, the fear of what you can't see. Some of you can't see any hope. You can't see any possibility. Somebody has gotten into your brain with their own words and convinced you it never gets better. You're never going to overcome. It's always going to be this way. I had what I called Super September. Hurricane Harvey hit my home. Hurricane Irma caused me to spend $4,000 flying my kids and grandkids here. My home was vandalized last week, took uh, guns and everything. And if you're watching, I have another gun. 
So if you come, you want to come? Come on. We'll shoot you in the knee, lead you to Jesus, and then we'll take care of the rest. Anyway, so. And I'll do it with as much love as I can possibly muster. Perfect love shoots, I mean, casts out all fear. And I'm preaching today, and I don't have a computer. I don't. Yeah, it, the, both of them are gone, and they got Jesus all over them. So I'm praying they open it up, and they go all over. Wouldn't it be cool if they just collapsed into the arms of God? Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we have to overcome the things we can't see. The things that we determine are impossible are often invisible. And until you and I can overcome the invisible things that bring fear, the impossible will never happen. Paul said, I believe, therefore I speak. I speak those things that are not as though they already were. You got to start talking to things that you can't see and you can't figure out. You 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 can't get a you can't have a you don't have a gun that has a sight on it because it's invisible. This is when you start declaring uh, what isn't as though it already was. Some of you haven't sold a car. You're a car salesperson and 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 you're like, man, no, there ain't nobody selling cars. All of a sudden, you start saying, I am. Everybody who comes in is gonna buy a car from me. No, yeah, two of you. Okay, yeah. You know, I, I can't in naturalize. I can't see what's behind those curtains. But in my spirit, those are full. Those seats are full. I went back there during worship and started talking to the people who aren't there. Um, I went up to those chairs that were invisible. Welcome to Mosaic. I'm glad you're here. I just had to get ready. I got to practice. That's a lot of people. You say, well, that's really strange. No, it's not. Not if you know God. That's how come Paul said, I, I believe, therefore I speak. I, I, it's just way you, you just got to start saying things that haven't happened yet. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. All I'm doing is exercising faith. That's the reason you're here. You didn't know that. When I came back, I just said, God, I pray every day. Fill the, chair, fill the chairs, fill the hearts, fill the people. Lord, fill the house. Be glorified in everything that we're doing. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a love and a power and a sound mind. So any spirit of fear contradicts the love, power, and sound mind. What comes first after the spirit of fear? Love. Then power. Then a sound mind. That means you're not going to go crazy when you look around you and everything's failing. And, and we're talking about Russia. And we're talking about North Korea. The little short guy. Uh, and so... At least I didn't call him Rocket Man. Anyway, so... <laughs> anyway, so... You get in fear and you say, oh my, what's going to happen? I know what's going to happen. That, that Jesus is going to come back someday and I'm only here for a short time anyway and so are you. This is not our dwelling place. This is not where our citizenship is. Our citizenship's in heaven. we just passing through. I mean, some people get fearful when they get older. I'm like accelerating. I'm thinking, hey, bring it on, Jesus. I mean, you're, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to kick ourselves for the first thousand years going, why didn't I eat worse? Why didn't I just clog all of my arteries? I could have been here at 52. Just kidding. I 
Like I said, the fair's gone. There's a lot more sludge in the city. In the people of the cities. I mean, I could not believe the amount of fried stuff. I mean, it was amazing. Anyway, I, 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 maybe it's just me. I'm a rookie, novice, fair guy. Uh, lastly, fear of what you can't seem to control. Can I tell you something? We have control of nothing except self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's all the control we've got. Now, we, we, self-control means I'm going to get up. I'm going to work as hard as I can work. I'm going to do the things I should do. I'm going to control that, but I can't control the results or the outcome. You can love somebody. They may not love you back. You can't control that, but you can control how you love them. Regardless of whether or not they love you, you can control how you love them. And they get to choose after that what they do with the love that you're demonstrating. Don't get mad at them. Don't get mad at people. There's a spiritual battle going on that we cannot see. And if we cannot see it, we cannot control it. So don't worry that things are going on around you. Think about what's going on in you. And these are three things I want you to remember. Number one, pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. I used to wonder how to do that. Now what I realize is every thought, every word, everything, like when I say greater is he who's in me, that's a prayer. God, thank you that everything's going to be all right. It's a prayer. I'm just praying without ceasing. I'm just agreeing with God. God told us what to agree with. And he said in, in Isaiah, call me in remembrance of my word. I want, you to, I want you to call me in remembrance. I want you to tell me you know what I promised you. So when I, when I say, God, you said, here's what you would do. I'm just telling you, God, you're a covenant God. This is what you told me you would do. And you know what, God? I'm reminding you. It's not like God's forgetful. What he's saying is when you remind me, you agree with me. We are in covenant. And if a thief steals, he has to repay seven times. I'm fixing to be so dadgum wealthy, you cannot believe everything's been stolen. I'm like, hey, hey, I needed a new one anyway. Hee <laughs> hee. People will think you're strange, and you are, but that's what we're called. Number two, prepare. Proverbs 2131 Message Bible says, do your best, prepare for the worst, then trust God to bring victory. Prepare. Don't ever give up. Be prepared. And then lastly, pause. And Isaiah, I mean, Isaiah, Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I'm God. There comes a time when stillness is critical and vital to the process of overcoming fear. Because you know what happens when we get fearful? We often get busy. And we start getting busy. Why? So that we can forget what we're afraid of. But you really, the fear is still there, but you're trying to forget it. And you get busy. Now, this is the reason, I, one of the reasons I believe so strongly in church. A little over an hour that you're saying, I'm going to focus on God. Let me tell you, every week you're going to start hearing this, as I remember it, and I should. Make sure God is a priority in your life every day. Make sure church is a priority in your life every week. We live in a world that is so busy, so caught up with YouTube and Hulu and Netflix and every other thing to entertain us. And a lot of that is just to keep us from focusing on the purpose of God and running from our fears in life. 
This Wednesday night, it's the first Wednesday night of every month I'll be doing this growth track. This Wednesday night, I would expect that there would be this many people or more here. Amen. Well, you know, I'm busy. I got this. Really, you're busy. Okay, good. Good for you. The rest of us aren't. Uh, we, we've been given 38 hours in a day. You've only been given 24. I get it. We have a little bit more, few more hours than you every day, but we're going to be here. You say, well, I don't need it. Yeah, you do. But more importantly, do you want it? Because we're going to invest time in creating growth in disciples. But I think the greatest fear, as I close, is this. The greatest fear of all, and this is the fear that I had to first overcome in my life before every other fear would be go away. And that is the fear of what if I died, where would I go? I don't know if any of you have ever had that one. I had that one for a long time because I didn't know what it took to get to heaven. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Now, what we do in religion is I don't do the following things, therefore I'm good with God. It's not about what you've done or doing or not doing. What it amounts to is have you surrendered your life to God. Religion says it's man's effort to perform for God. Christianity and faith is God's performance for man, which happened through the person of Christ. When we accept his performance on the cross, his actions on the cross, then that same spirit that raised him from the dead comes to live in us and quickens our mortal bodies. That's the spirit you want in you, not the spirit of fear, but of love and power of sound mind that's born out of salvation. So I want us to bow our heads, close our eyes as we prepare to close. There are those of you here and those of you watching online that you go to bed at night wondering, if I die, where will I go? In your prayers now, I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thy Lord my soul to take. No, God, I lay my head down to sleep. Wake me up. Heads bowed, eyes closed, those of you watching online. If you say, man, I have a fear. Let's take care of that fear today that if I died, I wouldn't go to heaven. It's a real fear. It really is for, for almost all of us at some point in life that we realize there is an eternity, there is an afterlife, and the only way we get to heaven is through Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes, comes to the Father except by me. In this place and watching online, if you say, I am not a Christian or I'm not sure or I have a fear, but I want to be sure today, I want to ask you to just slip your hand up right where you're at right now and put it right back down. Just acknowledge it. Some of you are afraid to lift your hand up. Somebody might see. Those of you, yes, thank you. Are there others? You say, that's me. Those of you watching online, lift your hand up right wherever, wherever you're at. Okay. Let's pray this prayer. Everyone, pray this with me. Say, Father God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And today, I call on the name of Jesus. I repent of my sin. I confess with my mouth, you are Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart, God raised you from the dead. That means I'm saved. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.